Welcome to our podcast, Revelation Conversations. I'm Steve Goebel, and I'm here with Kyle Hatfield, one of the members of our teaching team who works in Christian publishing and is also a teacher in our School of Bible and Ministry, and Ken Carson, who's also on our teaching team. He's one of our elders, and he teaches in our School of Ministry and School of Bible as well. Kyle and Ken, thanks for being here again. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. I want to start by giving you, our listeners, uh, our purpose behind this. We're hoping to utilize this time to unpack more in the book of Revelation and to hopefully supplement the Sunday teachings as our church, Ecclesia Eugene, goes through the book of Revelation together. Revelation can be very overwhelming for people, especially when you get to chapter 6. It really starts to throw people off, and a lot of people give up. And so we're hoping to bring more clarity uh, and help people navigate and understand the book. Last week, we finished a two-part conversation on the major viewpoints and the history behind those viewpoints, and we unpacked the strengths and weaknesses of those positions. Today, we're going to be talking about how to navigate cultural events in light of the book of Revelation. And one of the things that that I've noticed and heard is, is how we've become so glued to the current events that are happening, the political activity, and getting to the point where we're hanging on to every word and event within the context of how we interpret the book of Revelation. I've heard so many stories, and and I grew up hearing stories, being taught from the pulpit about what the mark of the beast is, uh, from, you know, (laughs) the checkout counters at the grocery store to all kinds of other things uh, that I heard were the mark of the beast, or a tattoo, or or all of these other things, to, to stories about who the Antichrist is. In fact, I was just sharing before we recorded this with Kyle how I've actually, the last three presidents, I've been told by people were the Antichrist. And and even we see this carried over into the imagery throughout the book of Revelation to where I've heard some of the symbols, some of the things that that John is telling us he's seen are, are helicopters, specific helicopters, and things like that. And it also can lead us to, I think, when we talk about how we're hanging on to these current events, uh, it also can lead us to an unhealthy dependence on specific countries, nations, uh, wars. Uh, and you guys, I know, have experienced some of this. Yeah, I, I remember for me that the most remarkable one was when I was in um, junior high, which is what middle school is called today, um, <laughs> back in my day. Uh, the, my youth leader was reading us an article that said that Jesus was coming back in 1982 because like, all the planets were going to do some sort of weird alignment or whatever. And I remember being completely freaked out of that, like a middle schooler thinking, that means I'm never going to like grow up and have a wife and get married and have kids or anything. It's like, it's all going to be over before I'm even like in high school. I'm just being completely freaked out by that. You were dreading his coming. Well, yeah, because I was going to, I mean, there was, there, there's He's some. coming too soon. There's some wrong theology in that, I admit, but, but still be just being freaked out because it was, you know, it was going to be 1982 and everyone was thinking that. I, I remember just being really struck by that those dates that would come and then go you starting to wonder, does anybody know what they're talking about about Y2K this? Y2K was, was mine, for sure. And uh, and then, of course, you know, we we know all the, like, 
the solar eclipses, the super blood moons, comets, things like that. Yeah, definitely have, have felt that. Too. I remember feeling that with Y2K too. Like, oh, I'm not going to get to drive my uh, car or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we see this played out um, and in, in different ways. And I think anybody that's grown up in the church or has heard different revelation studies has come away with a lot of different views and perspectives. And ultimately that really affects how we navigate these, these events that are happening right now in our culture. And Kyle, uh, I know that you and I were kind of just talking about uh, how revelation itself, it has to transcend our generation and, and our time. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, there's a quote that a lot of people use, you got to preach with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Uh, and, and some use that as kind of justification for reading into every single current event and, and everything like that. Um, but they usually, they don't look at where that quote came from. It came from uh, Karl Barth. And uh, he definitely was not a dispensationalist or anything. And when he said that quote, he wasn't talking about reading current events into the Bible, but just like what you're talking about. We got to apply the Bible to the current context that we are in, the current cultural context. It's got to apply to our generation. We have to do the work to figure out, okay, what does our generation need to hear? And because uh, if the Word of God is supposed to be uh, applicable and profitable for us in wherever we are, then it's got to apply for us where we are now, not just for the future. Michael Gorman, uh, he wrote the book uh, Reading Revelation Responsibly, and he's got all these different ways to kind of read Revelation, uh, just how he's seen other people read it. And one of the, the more helpful ways that he talks about reading Revelation is with a pastoral prophetic way to look at Revelation. So it's not just this futurist thing, it's this code to unlock, and uh, it's kind of nice to just see, or it's interesting, um, or maybe it's a way to alleviate any fears we may have, uh, or play into those fears. But instead, it's about learning, how can I, uh, you know, so he's thinking of how is John, the pastor of these churches, going, how can I help these people? And then how can I help future generations uh, of Christians, Jesus followers? And so, for leaders and for pastors today, they need to go, okay, how can we make it relevant for today? Learning from the first century context, of course, uh, and with an eye on future promises, but then bringing it to 2023 and going, okay, what what does this mean for us here in America today, us in Eugene, Oregon, or for the Christians in North Korea today? What does it mean for them, uh, the, the Christians who are in Turkey right now in Syria who just experienced this earthquake. What does it mean for them? They're going through a completely different context than what we're going through. And I think when we're trying to take those current events and we're trying to tie them into being specific future events that are predicted in Revelation, we, we're basically saying that not only does it not apply to any other generation, we're saying it didn't even apply to John's original readers. Yeah. It didn't even apply to those seven churches. Because if indeed John's whole point is to show us a detailed roadmap of what's going to happen at some given point in the, in the future, then how is that helpful for these seven churches that are undergoing prosecution to say, well, in 2,000 years sometime, then, you know, then this is what's going to happen. And so it's taking away, I think, even from the encouragement that John's trying to give to those seven churches originally. And um, so we shouldn't be looking, I don't think, at Revelation as a roadmap to interpreting current events, um, because the result of that is going to be where you end up with somebody predicting 
that he's going to come back at Y2K or 1982 or whatever. And and history is just like littered with people who have made the wrong date in mind and and have those dates have come and gone. It's it's kind of a fool's errand to actually try to tie current events to biblical prophecy because you're everyone up to this point's been wrong in doing that, <laughs> you know. And to me, it goes back to Matthew 24, verse 36, where, where Jesus said in the, in the Olivet Discourse, he said, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of the heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So in some senses, there's a certain level of arrogance for us to try to be overly predictive of what we think Revelation and, and other biblical prophecies are, because Jesus says, I don't even know. Why, why do you think you're going to know if I don't even know? You know, the angels don't know. Only the Father knows. And so I think we just have to be really um, humble in looking at, at these things and also to recognize there is a message for us in every generation, but that message may not be that these events that are taking place right now are the end times. Yeah, I, that's really good. And I, and I think one of the things that I've experienced in communicating and connecting with people is I think a lot of how we view the current events through the lens of revelation, it reveals in a lot of the people that I've talked to, it reveals that there's a fear. They, they It actually leads to a fear. And, you know, Ken, as, as you were talking about uh, the actual purpose behind the book, we got to ask, is that the calling from this book? Is that the purpose and why John is writing this to, to the people who received it? Was, was that the point? For them was to get caught up in in all of the cultural events that were uh, impacting them, and 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 was it to wake them up to the fear uh, that was happening? Uh, no, that's not what we see. As you look at chapters two and three, and the specific messages to these churches, we we see him telling them where to focus their energy. He tells them their issues, the problems that they have. Um, he even tells them what they're doing well for the ones that had something that they were doing well. Uh, but what do we what do we read? We we see, hey, you've lost your first love. You're no longer dependent on me. You you're self-sufficient. Uh we see self-deception happening. Uh you're not alive but dead. We see you're lukewarm. And and I think that that's man, we that's the heart of what he's he's addressing what's happening right now in these churches and and as he's Speaking to these churches, we see once again the language of these overcomers, these victors, and I think that our understanding of overcoming and being an overcomer, honestly, it contradicts in a lot of ways what his message to the churches actually is about who these people are. Kyle, I know that you had some uh, really interesting thoughts on that. Yeah, you know how in Jesus, in the letters to the seven churches, he, he encourages them to conquer, and, and to those who conquer, uh, I will give to them the crown of life. And, and so you go, okay, well, yeah, I want to conquer, I want to overcome, I want to have victory. Um, and, and what's kind of funny is we can read that as like, oh, that means maybe I need to defeat my enemy, I need to win, or anything like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be a conquering warrior or something like that. But when you look at how Revelation actually uh, defines what that conquering looks like, you see a completely different picture. And even in the context of those seven letters, you see him building that out. It's uh, really, he's pushing them towards faithfulness. Like, that's your calling. It's it's not to give into fear. It's not, a, not to give into a vengeful, vindictive attitude towards your enemies. It's to be 
faithful. And we see in in Revelation 12, uh, verse 11, where it's talking about the dragon, uh, Satan, the adversary being destroyed. And it says in verse 11, and they have conquered him. So he's now we're conquered uh, him by the blood of the lamb. So you see uh, it's Christ's death. It's his, his being conquered uh, it instead is conquering Satan. And then it says, and by the word of their testimony. And you pointed this out on Sunday, Steve, how that word testimony is where we get the word martyr. It's it's the Greek word marturia. Yeah. And uh, it, it does mean testimony, but there's a reason that the church began to associate the word martyr, marturia, with someone who died for their faith. Because there's no stronger statement, no stronger testimony about who you truly believe to be king, the greatest, what the greatest reality is that death has been defeated, than to give your life for Jesus. And verse 11 ends, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That's how the enemy was conquered. It's by their faithfulness unto death. And that gives us a completely different picture than, than what we usually think of conquering. Yeah, I mean, that's completely counterintuitive, yeah. that the way I'm going to find victory is by giving up my life. Uh, you know, that's, that's that. wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. But, it, but that's exactly what Jesus illustrates. I mean, that, we saw that in, in, in chapter 5, where, you know, we were looking for the conquering lion of Judah, and it's a lamb who was slain. So mm-hmm. Jesus sets the pattern right from the very beginning of the book, where he says, this is how you're going to find victory, not, not by being a, a lion who attacks it, uh, its prey, but by being a lamb who lays down his life. And that's what that's what we're called to, to to find victory. That's how we will overcome by being willing to give up our lives completely, just in faithful service of our Lord. And, and what a different perspective that gives us as we're navigating cultural events, uh, these current events that are that are happening. What a different way of what or perspective of of just how I respond to that. And I, you know, Kyle. Uh, you were talking about at the time these churches they're interpreting this through their own experiences and which was Rome the mm-hmm. Roman Empire and the Roman Empire had had their own perspective on what conquering meant didn't they yeah I mean the the peace of Rome was maintained by the sword of Rome and uh, most visibly through crucifixion and and we know through uh, the the different, eras of persecution, especially during Nero and Domitian, where they were lighting Christians on fire, crucifying them, putting them into the arenas to be eaten by dogs as a spectacle for everyone to see. This is what it looks like to be dominated, to be conquered by the power of Rome. And instead, Jesus is going, oh yeah, Rome Rome thinks they're, they're winning by doing this to you. They're actually bringing about their own defeat. The power's uh, that are behind Rome are bringing about their own defeat by conquering you. They're conquering themselves. Uh, the true victory is being won. Uh, it, it's just an amazing thing how Jesus just turns that on its head. Um, you know, they uh, first these powers. Uh, you think about like Babylon, uh, which bring comes up in Revelation. So your mind immediately goes to Daniel, and you go, okay. You you look at Daniel and his friends. And they were first uh, pushed to assimilate to the empire, to the powers uh, in Babylon, to uh, eat just like them, or to worship the same idols, uh, to uh, pray to the king. And once they, they, you know, saw, oh, we can't assimilate these people, 
then we're going to kill them. And, and so that's that's the next step. That's the next uh, move that these powers have. And, uh, and yet, through that, God delivers his people. He brings about victory, and he even shows that he's, he's with them through that. He uh, sends uh, one like the son of the gods to be in the furnace. He sends an angel to close the mouth of the lions, and we read in Revelation 1, he walks amongst the lampstands. No matter what we're going through, whether it's uh, powers of assimilation and cultural forces, economic forces, or through uh, the governmental forces trying to destroy churches, kill pastors, uh, or anything like that, Jesus is walking there uh, with us. That temptation for assimilation, though, I think has to be, uh, we need to explore that a little bit, because yeah, yeah. that will be the first temptation, is assimilation in there. And I think on Sunday you talked about how even the one who comes on the on the white horse looks like Christ. He he looks like the one who we should be following, and we have to be aware and alert and look out for that because it's gonna it's going to lead people astray. Jesus even said that in Matthew twenty four. Um, he says, "See to it that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray." And so there is this warning, I think, for us to. To watch out because there will be people who look like they are the ones that we should follow. Yeah. And yet th- that that is the warning. That's the temptation. And we have to be alert. We have to be paying attention for that because there will be people in the church who start following after and who have followed after these antichrists. And so we have we have to be on guard against that and um, we have to be alert within that. In, in that same passage where, where we just read how, how Jesus says, no one knows the hour. He says in verse 44, therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect, that the fact that we don't know when he's coming says, be alert, pay attention, be ready for that. And we have to be in that stance of always, because we don't know when it's coming, we have to be in that readiness state, that vigilant state, not being deceived, to watch out for that assimilation that's coming at us, and to be ready at any moment to give up our life, even if it doesn't feel like that's where we are in our culture today. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it's a little bit, um, and, and this isn't meant to uh, obviously uh, downgrade what real like persecution is like, but it's sometimes harder to stay faithful with the forces of assimilation in some ways. I want to give that caveat because you don't always see it like that. That's the problem. It, and, and that's why you got to stay alert. And that's why you have to uh, keep your uh, eyes open um, it you know Paul says there the false teachers are going to come uh, and you know uh, itch your ears or give you what your itching mm-hmm. ears are wanting mm-hmm. to hear because uh, and so that's showing us like we're, we're going to not always be like on guard we're not always going to be ready uh, for when these these uh, certain things these certain messages or certain people come in and and uh, it, it's just a lot easier to go like oh yeah that feels right that sounds right. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go along with that. Uh, Scott McKnight he calls it a cultural buoyancy. You're floating along with the rest of the because you're just like, oh yeah, this is easy. you're like on a lazy river, and you're like, okay, and you just carry along mm-hmm. with it basically. And, and so the call there is not not to be so worried about who who is that future beast that's coming, but to recognize that that's happening all throughout history. Mm-hmm. That temptation to fall away to for someone to lead us astray that happens in every generation, and we have to be. We have to be prepared for that. In fact, it says in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul's talking about the man of lawlessness, which is just another name for that beast that we're going to read about. He says that that spirit of lawlessness is already here. 
Mm-hmm. And so it already exists around us. We need we need to recognize that rather than being worried about who who might that be sometime in the future, we have to recognize there's that temptation, that that call away from faithfulness, that assimilation into culture that's being tempting us at every generation, and it's tempting us even today. And so I think that's where we need to put our attention, not trying to figure out, well, who exactly is this guy, but to recognize that spirit of lawlessness is in every generation, and I need I need to worry about that now in my generation, even if this is or is not the last generation. Mm-hmm. And I think there are there are so many lessons to learn from church history to look back and see where the church failed and those sort of things. And they did go along with the man of lawlessness. They went along with uh, those cultural powers that uh, you know were were forcing them into certain ways uh, or certain methods or certain morals. And they assimilated and they yep. they went along. You think about uh, the German church during World War II with Hitler. You think about. Uh, the American church during slavery and segregation. Uh, obviously, it wasn't every single Christian in in those eras, but uh, a large portion of the church went along with things that were sin and and uh, were, you know, in fact, reflecting the beast yeah. instead of opposing the beast. I think your picture of, of World War II is a, in Germany is is apropos because I think everybody now, if you were like going to go back and say who who would you most identify with being potential antichrist in like modern history? You, well, it's got to be Hitler. I mean, he was he was the worst. He was, you know, <laughs> yeah. but but he also was so masterful at leading us, leading astray the church in Germany. There were very few who were in the church in Germany who stood up against Hitler. Um, and those that did, a lot of them were killed. Um and or exiled. Or exiled, yeah, yeah. or yeah. And so, you know, when we look at that, it it can happen very subtly, it can happen very easily. And we have to we have to be aware it it will happen to the church at the end times. We can't think that we would we might not be succumbing to that temptation ourselves. So again, be alert, not be fearful, um, not be worried. God is still in control. This is still God's plan. Um, but we have to be we have to be alert, recognizing that there will be those who seek to lead mm-hmm. us astray. I like what uh, how Augustine kind of pictures things. He he says in his book City of God that. Uh, you know, there there are two cities. So you've got the city of man, that's where we live in in our day-to-day, but then there's that truer reality of the city of God, and we always have to remind ourselves that the city of man, this although that's where we're living, that's not our home. And we we need to always remember that and not get not get too comfortable <laughs> with the city of man and the ways of the city of man. Yeah, I was thinking about also as you were you were talking about this posture of identifying this counterfeit Christ, essentially the spirit of the counterfeit Christ, you know, whether that's the antichrist or the spirit of Babylon, you know, and, and living in light of that. And I think that it actually reminded me of, of something that I, that I was told a while ago. And, and if this isn't true, just whatever, but I like how it sounds. And so I'm going to say it, uh, is, uh, someone told me that the way the FBI is taught to identify counterfeit money is not to study all the different counterfeits. Uh, it's to learn in every way what a real, uh, whether it's a $100 bill, what a real $100 bill looks like. And so you study that so that then you're able to see uh, the the different variations in the ways people will distort that. And that's how you identify what's counterfeit. And I think that one of the challenges that I was thinking about as you guys were talking is how we uh, are in a day and age where it appears that we're more focused on studying our news outlets 
versus the word of God. And the only way that we're going to identify the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, is through our understanding of the word of God. The only way that we're going to be able to see and identify the the deception, and that deception, uh, as Ken was sharing, that deception is going to deceive many who say they're Christians. Um, it, it's going to be incredible. It's going to fool people. The only way that that we're we're able to prepare for that is to study the Word of God and to understand and know what Scripture is speaking, because. That is the only way you're going to see how this, this Antichrist is going to twist and distort. And, and the ways that I see right now, uh, the people that I interact with get uh, thrown off in their, in their theology and their understanding of God and his calling on their life, it's when they deprioritize the study and understanding of Scripture. And, and, and Scripture promises it is alive, it is active. And it is going to hit the parts of your heart that are most important. Uh, and, and so I think a challenge for us uh, in this day and age, as we even have pastors telling us to read into certain things and to look through these news outlets, is, is I would challenge all our people listening to this. More than anything, there should be an urgency in how you study Scripture in light of your understanding of Revelation. If you miss that, you're missing out, <laughs> and and you're very likely to be one of those who is deceived. And I think this, what we've been talking about, this picture that Revelation tells us of that conquering comes through death, conquering comes through martyrdom, conquering comes through humility, it comes through sacrifice, not through exercising power. I think that's where, when you look at some of those news outlets, when you look at what the culture is saying about power today— it's talking about we need we need to take the hill. We need to we need to win it out. We need to conquer. We need to fight back. If the people who are against us are acting uh, in an unethical way, then we have to fight fire with fire. And all of that is directly contradictory to what Christ says about Himself. He does not come like a lion that mauls. He comes like a lamb that was slain. And that should just be a red flag that says that's not of Christ. And yet we're so easily falling into that that power has become the new thing that we grab onto on any side of the political spectrum. It's not it's not one side versus the other, and that should be a warning flag to us. If it's not about sacrifice, if we're not going to, if we're going to find victory in anything other than giving up of our lives, then that's, that's, we're being deceived in that. I mean, Jesus, he says for a reason, if, if anyone tries to save his life, he's going to lose it, but if anyone loses his life for my sake, uh, we'll, we'll find it. Um, and you just talking right there can remind me of Steve, the John Piper quote that that you had said, uh, victory of the lion through the tactics of the lamb. But but far too often we we try to get the victory of the lion through the tactics of the beast instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ken said that. But uh, <laughs> okay, sorry, but, Steve will take credit for it. Good, though. Well, you know, <laughs> n- right, neither one of us Ken. are Piper, so that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, and as you say that, I mean, victory was won at the cross. Yeah. And, and, and it goes back to, once again, the cross is the moment that Satan is screaming out victory, right? So, so that's the moment. He's just had the Savior crucified, and yet, once again, we see the victory won through death. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a—it really challenges us 
It challenges us in our perspective on what a victor is and what an overcomer is. And I think that that um, will change our posture. And I think it will also reinforce this message that is so clear throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, and, And it's this, it's a call to courage and it's a call to a bold allegiance to Christ through endurance. And the people who this was written to, you know, they're they're facing incredible opposition. In fact, John, uh, right off the bat in chapter one, talks about how he is experiencing the same things they are. He's experiencing that with them. And, and you just get this pastoral heart that he has as he's writing and connecting this to people who are going through the very things that he's going to talk about here. Uh, throughout the book of Revelation. They're experiencing the Roman Empire. They're experiencing famine. They're experiencing the economic hardships uh, that come along with going against the spirit of Babylon. And so uh, they're they're walking through it. And I think the uh, in the book of Acts, there's a, uh, there's a section there that I, I think is a really important takeaway for us from this conversation. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and Jesus has resurrected. You know, he's back. And it says this, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. There's that word again in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And to me, when I read that, I go, Steve, don't get caught up in everything that's happening in culture to the point where you actually start to negate and miss your purpose for being here. And, and so I, I think that's the challenge for us uh, today. And I think that's the challenge for all of us moving forward. And I hope and pray that as we continue to study this book, that it moves you in that direction and that it causes you to become more passionate about spiritually enduring, that it causes you to become more passionate about studying and understanding the Word of God. Uh, Because even as we looked at uh, in the Sunday teaching this last Sunday, there is nothing else that we're going to have to stand on. There's nothing. It's all going away other than the, the, the ground that is laid through King Jesus. And that's what we stand on. We're going to be taking a short pause from our weekly podcast. And so in the meantime, we want to encourage you to start texting questions to 541-515-7634, or you can email questions to info at ecclesiaeugene.org because in a few weeks, we're going to do a Q&A. And so we want to encourage you to, to start getting those questions in now. Uh, Thank you for joining us today and join us in person this Sunday at 8.30 or 10.30 or 10.30 online as we continue walking through the book of Revelation. Revelation.